John 9 and 10 go together. Like, like in the original manuscripts, there wasn't really chapter breaks. It was just like a book. And then when they were organizing it, they had to like put some stuff, some breaks in there. Sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they don't make sense. This one is kind of like right in the middle of the story. Like Jesus is interacting. They're having a conversation. And then there's a big 10. And then it keeps going, you know. And so you need to know what was going on. And in case you missed it, last week, what happened was Jesus encounters a guy who was born blind. And then he heals the guy, which should be a good day for everyone. But everybody's confused. They're like, wait a second. You know, the religious leaders are like, okay, he's healing people on the Sabbath, which you're not supposed to do. So what is this guy all about? And they start questioning him. And the, the, um, they have this big back and forth. And the blind guy's like, because they're like, you know, they try to, they try to, like, first off, he's doing something wrong. So he has to be wrong, right? And he's like, I don't know if he's wrong. You know, and he says this, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind and I could see now. Like, like we talked about missing the point. These guys are missing the point, and they're, like, stuck on missing the point the whole time. And this guy's like, I don't really know all of what you're talking about. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I couldn't see, and now I can. Like, that should be the most important thing in this conversation. And it's this revealing of who Jesus is and how it bothers these religious leaders. They're like, we can't handle this, you know. So they have this back and forth, and eventually they throw the blind man out because he challenges them. He says this in verse 30. The man answered, now that is, because they say, like, we don't even know, like, we don't even know where this guy's from. They're talking about Jesus, you know. And he says, well, now that's remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, this being the Pharisees, the religious leaders, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So there's a man who's encountered Jesus, had a miracle happen to him. This changed his entire life and existence. And he's, and then the people that should care the most about that throw the guy out. Like, get out of here. The, how dare you correct us? And then this is where you start to see the beginning of the story we're looking at today. So Jesus finds the guy. Verse 35 of chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's talking about the Messiah himself there. The guy says, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus says, you have now seen him, which is an interesting thing to say to a formerly blind dude. You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. (laughs) The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Correct response, good response. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. But some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him saying this. And they asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, and this is what we're going to be talking around the whole day today in chapter 10. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. Wait, yeah, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So here's the situation. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I'm going to give it to you because I think it's helpful in our looking at this and in our society these days. Have you noticed people disagree with each other a lot? Okay? And have you noticed that people find it, like, unfathomable that this person could believe this different thing? So it's like, what I'm believing makes perfect sense, and what this person over here is believing is so offensively horrible, I can't even imagine how they could believe that. Right? This is a big piece of how that functions. I was reading a book this week by a man named Jonathan Haidt. He's a social psychologist, and he was talking about, and this is not a Christian book. This is just a book about people, right? And he was talking about the kind of questions people are asking, and this is like transcultural. It's like every culture has a version of this, and you can even see it in these stories here. 
When people are looking at something that they... Because when you encounter something, you, you kind of intuit a response to it, okay? I said this was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but just bear with me. And then after you have a response, you develop a mental structure of why. But that isn't really why you responded the way you did. Okay, they call it ad hoc reasoning, meaning I did this, so now I need a reason why, and your brain starts to come up with why you did it. Sometimes it's more valid, sometimes it isn't. The point wasn't that that doesn't play as much of a role into your reaction, which it was in the book. The point is that that type of reasoning people put out there could fit into two major categories, which are somewhat incompatible. And what I mean is this. When you encounter something you don't like and you don't want to believe, the question your brain asks is, must I believe this? Okay? Like, so you immediately, just like the Pharisees in chapter 9, they're saying, must we believe this Jesus guy is God or the Messiah? Must we believe that? And you can see that their, their brain, they start picking at any little thing they can get. He must be a sinner. He mu- he's doing something wrong on the set, and they just pick at it as much as they possibly can. So the bar to must I believe something is incredibly high. But you're only answering that because you initially just didn't like it. Like, I encounter this, well, I have this reaction, so my brain wants to find, must I believe this? And with this situation, it's kind of funny because they kind of get confronted with the fact that, yeah, they kind of do must believe that, you know, and you see that at the end of chapter 10. But we have this all the time about things. Must I believe this? That bar is so incredibly high, it's almost insatiable. You'll never get there, right? Now, if you encounter something and you do like it, the, the question isn't must I believe, but can I believe that? And that bar is incredibly low because if there's any crack to get in, you're in. And that explains kind of the openness of the blind guy a little bit, but it also explains it goes too far, way too far into like the last few years people believing QAnon conspiracies and stuff like that just because it sounds kind of like something that rhymes with the truth. So it's just enough that I can put, you see what I'm so I can believe that. I could believe that. Or you can't prove it isn't, you know. So... What ends up happening with us is we encounter people that are coming with a can I believe it answer, and you're looking for a must I believe it answer, and that's, that gap defines a lot of what you see on Facebook, okay? Just a little food for thought, rabbit trail, but you see this happening in people encountering and interacting with Jesus in this story. But the end of chapter 9 going into chapter 10 is the verse that I really want to stop on and I want to think about. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus' issue wasn't that they were wrong. It was that they were wrong and they were claiming they were right. And so when I said about a challenging thing, we'll get to the comforting part, but how would you feel if Jesus said this to you? What is it that you claim you see? Like, why are you here this morning? You call yourself a believer? You know, like, I mean, what do you actually live like, you know? Let's read chapter 10, and we'll talk about this. Marianne, would you come read this for me? This was unprompted. She's just going to literally, we're going to read this whole chapter. I don't read huge bulk text too well, so I'm going to let her do it (laughs) without prompting. So, yeah. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Further conflict over Jesus' claims. Oops, that's a, that's a subtitle. <laughs> then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than, than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you being a mere man claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, 
and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's son? Do not believe unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Amen. I know that was a lot. Normally, we kind of work through as we go, but I figure what I want to do is get you to see this big picture here, and then we'll talk about it, because this is really breaks down into two parts. One part is exactly the response of Jesus to the Pharisees after healing the blind guy, and I don't know if you know when you she, when she hit that title, further saying, or whatever, you know, that's jumping forward to Hanukkah, where Jesus is going into Jerusalem, and the same exact thing happens, and what you have is two parts that um, that basically... Jesus uses this metaphor of being the shepherd and us as the sheep or people as the sheep and um, compares the two. And we're going to work through this metaphor kind of as a chunk. And that's why I wanted you to see the story. I know you can barely read that because it's very small. But you see in the first part, he says the shepherd uses the gate. He's not a robber. He doesn't sneak in. And he calls to the sheep by name and they respond to him. And the shepherd is the gate. He's not a thief. And God's shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not a hired hand who runs away when a wolf shows up. And he's a good shepherd. And he knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. And y'all have had pets. Y'all know what this is about, you know. Other sheep of another sheep. This is not even pets. I didn't mean to. You know what I'm saying. You have relationships with animals. Okay. He has other sheep, not of the sheep pen, and he lays down his life. And then part two, when you see Jesus in, uh, in Jerusalem and Hanukkah, he says, they ask him, tell us if you're the Messiah. And he says, I do tell you, but you don't, you don't want to leave me. And, because you aren't my sheep. And he says, my sheep know my voice. The same thing he's saying. When, they, when I call, they answer. They listen to me. And I give them eternal life. My Father has given them to me, and no one can take them from me. And then they try to stone him. And they say, why are you stoning me? And he said, because you, you claim that you're God. And he's like, I'm gonna, what do you want me to claim if I'm God? You know? And then he says, I told you to believe only if I did the works of the Father. And so if I'm doing that, if I'm, you know, believe the works at least. You know what I'm saying? So these are the two parts we're going to go through. So the first thing we want to talk about is Jesus as a shepherd. So he's drawing on this image. He's pulling on an image. This was something that people did. We don't, we're not as familiar with shepherds in our culture. Back then they were. Not like a super, super killer profession, but it's also not like the dumps. I mean, Jesus is using this in like a positive image. He's saying, I'm the shepherd. You know, and so it's, uh, it's something everybody would have understood. Now, if this bothers you, in this image, we're like the sheep. And I know that's not a, that's in our culture now, calling people sheep is like offensive, but oh well. We're sheep, so <laughs> maybe the news flash is, I guess, we're sheep. It just depends on what shepherd you're following. And uh, so Jesus is, def- what, what he's doing is, well, let's talk a little bit about shepherding, and then I'll tell you what this whole thing is about. So back then they would have, he's using a lot of imagery that we just don't know a whole lot about. So there was pins, which sometimes if they were temporary, they'd be made out of like briar bushes and stuff. So it's kind of like barbed wire, or sometimes it'd be like stone. And they would put barbed wire on the top to keep out animals and to keep out people that were stealing sheep. And then sometimes, like, you know, several of us would be shepherds, and I got my sheep, you got your sheep. And we're like, well, I don't want to build my own thing. You, let's build this 
thing together, and then at night we'll put our sheep in it together, you know, so they'll be protected, or when it's cold, but then when we have to separate them back out, my sheep will follow me, and your sheep will follow you. And if they don't, I can recognize mine, and you can recognize yours. Like, this is the kind of intimacy that he's trying to pull on here. And there's even this whole talk, he's like, I am the door. There's, there's a lot of talk about how sometimes the opening of the, the place would actually be, they would close it up, and sometimes they were just, the, the shepherds would just sleep there, you know, as kind of like the actual door. Like, I'm now preventing bad people or bad things from coming in. And he's using that as a metaphor of a door to salvation, obviously. And the sheep were totally dependent on the shepherd. This is not like, you know, domesticated, um, you know, like dogs in the wild can take care of themselves to some extent. You see what I'm saying? Like sheep in the wild have a rough time, you know, and especially a whole big group of them. And so uh, sheep were totally dependent on the shepherd for pasture and food, then for protection, for medication, shelter, giving birth, everything. Like, you know, they were fully domesticated animals that needed... uh, their shepherd. And this is what this whole thing is about. Jesus is saying he's a good shepherd and these Pharisees are not. And that's the division he's making. He's saying, my sheep hear my voice and you guys aren't doing it. That's why they're not listening to you. Or you see what I'm saying? And he's saying, I'm not sneaking around. I'm not a robber. You guys are here to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is an interesting thing because that John 10.10 verse, you always hear people quote as if it's about the devil. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it it is. I mean, you know, like anybody steal, killing, and destroying is doing the work of the devil. But it's not actually literally most directly in context talking specifically about the devil. You follow what I mean? He's talking about these guys. He's like, I am not like you guys. You guys are here to do this, steal, kill, and destroy. And I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he's setting up a difference. So that's actually what this whole thing is about. That he's bringing correction to the religious leaders of the day. Okay? And you see this also in in the second section because, you know, in Hanukkah, it's actually a celebration. It's not one of the feasts like we talked about yesterday. It's not one of the seven biblical feasts. It was like an extra one. But it 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 it, it was based on an event that was, you know, basically the freeing of deliverance and oppression, and they would do this, and they still do it now to celebrate that event. But here Jesus is in the middle of that, the ultimate deliverer, not being in, he's not being recognized or celebrated, you know. So here you have, again, some contextual stuff where he's saying, like, here I am, I'm the ultimate deliverer, and they're like, nah, we're not buying it, you know. So here's Craig Keener on this. The whole point of this story is that God's true people hear Jesus because they recognize him as the shepherd, Thus, the very authorities who have excluded the healed man from the synagogue now prove excluded from the people of God. So that's pretty intense if you're a religious leader like me. And Jesus is borrowing language from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, which is all about God being the shepherd. And again, these guys weren't lightweights when it came to the Bible. Like, we don't read the Bible very much compared to them. They, like, knew it. So when he's talking about this, they would recognize what he was saying, and it would bother them a lot. <laughs> Ezekiel 34, 11 and 12 says this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will teach, I will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after the scattered flock when he is with them, so will I after my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And it keeps going, and it was going before that, where he's rebuking the shepherds. So this is, they're seeing that fulfilled in front of them, and they don't like it. 
And so, like I said earlier, you might have noticed people disagree with each other these days. You might have also noticed that there's a lot of religious leaders that have been caught in all sorts of scandals in the last few years. And I think you can rest assured with this chapter here that that bothers Jesus a lot. So when we feel bothered by that, um, we can know that Jesus is bothered by that as well. (laughs) And so... I breeze through that because I realize that most of us in this room are not religious leaders. And so just so we don't go like, oh, good, I get a pass on this one. I'm glad I'm not a preacher. Uh, Now I'm going to talk about the part that applies to all of us. Going back to that verse in 941, and not trying to overstate the fact that this is mostly a rebuke to the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus establishing himself as the good shepherd to all of his people, including the ones, I don't know if you picked up on that, not of the sheep pen. Most of, just, a, just about every single thing Jesus does is with his Jewish people. Every once in a while you get into this, you know, like when he has the woman at the well, you know, and she recognizes that the king of the Jews is the king of the universe, you know. There's these hints towards this. And there's even this hint in this where it's like, there's, there's other sheep out there, and I'm going to call them all into one pen, which would include any Gentile believers, like non-Jewish believers. And so Jesus is establishing himself as the good shepherd. But it's all in this response to this. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And this is where I think we need to, we need to stay in, in this today. And this is going to be brief, but it might be sharp, okay? We claim to believe all sorts of things. We claim we can see all sorts of things. We claim... We know things. We claim that we have our eyes open. We claim as believers that we really know what's going on. And if Jesus, because you're going to stand before God one day, do, does your life live up to that claim? This is the question that you're sitting here. Because, yes, we're the sheep, and yes, we hear his voice. This is all great. And we'll get to that at the end. I ended on the high note, so, but this is the part that we really need to hear. Leonard Ravenhill has a famous quote that says, are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Just leave that up for a second. This sums up this a lot, I think, because we can be, I guess, seduced into a belief that, or some idea that to be a Christian just means that you check off the right boxes in believing things, like, you know, oh yeah, that's good, you know. And it doesn't have any transformation in our lives, you know. You still treat people like crap, you know. You're still self-oriented. You're still living lives full of sin. You still steal things from people. I mean, whatever. I mean, fill in the blank. Don't wait for me to name it, you know what I mean? But it's, but the idea is like this whole blindness and seeing thing should remind us the fact that Jesus is like, I, I'm not blind. Like, I, I do know what's going on, and I can see this. And I'm not saying this to make you feel hopeless. I'm trying to say this like this is just the reality of it. And if Jesus says to you, is like, you know, it's not the problem that you're 
I'm going to just change the wording a little, just kind of paraphrase so you hear the difference. You know, it's not that you're like, the problem isn't that you're doing bad things or that you're a bad guy. <laughs> the problem is that you're claiming to be good and you're a bad guy. Our following of Jesus isn't just us being in the right camp or hating the right people. Like that one doesn't even fit. <laughs> we have to live it out. Let me read you this. This is in the book of Revelation, and this is to the church of Laodicea. All right. Many, you, once I start reading, you're going to like, oh, man, I've heard this before. But starting in verse 15, I know your deeds. This is God talking now. All right. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Man, does that sound like... Look, I'm, I'm proud to be an American, all right? You know, like, don't hear this the wrong way. But, I mean, that sounds kind of like the American dream, right? Like, you know, I take care of myself. I got it all figured out, all this kind of thing, you know? But this, <laughs> you say, this implying... You say this, it ain't true, you know. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Not a good list. I counsel you. Now look, it gets hopeful. That's not the end. That is us without God, right? So you claim, I got it all figured out. I actually fool people with my social media. They don't even know. I actually fool myself because I believe this so much that I, I, I push all that feeling in the back, that feeling that I know something's off, that I know something's wrong. I push it back because I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. I have acquired wealth. I don't need anything. I have done this. And the truth is, while we think this way, Jesus is saying, he's like, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I said this was going to be short and sharp, all right? So I'm sorry. That's a true status, okay? That's a, like, you know, you remember back when Facebook said Brian Wages is, and then you were just supposed to put what you were doing, you know? This is the is. Like, without God, this is the is for everybody. Brian Wages is wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And it's like, oh, you know? And it's helpful to recognize that, you know. When you see in chapter 9, the blind guy, he's already realizes this. You see what I'm saying? Kind of his situation is forced it on him. He recognizes, you go, hey, did you know you're blind? He'd go, yeah, I got that one, you know. And so he had a door open to seeing himself properly. And when he encountered Jesus, he was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's changing things. This guy's doing things. This guy's giving life that, you know. But when people think, or they want to say, I've got this all figured out. I can do this all by myself. I don't need your help, you know. And he's like, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But look, there's hope in this. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He's not leaving us without hope here. But the shepherd is the one that does it. And so, just so, this living it out is so crucially important that it even popped into my mind, this is going to be a little bit like, um, 
it's only going to speak to some of us, but Jesus repeatedly says, I'm not a hired hand. Like, you guys are, like, that's a put down, you know. I'm not a hired hand like these guys, all right? And you say, well, what separates him? What is he doing? He's like, I'm going to die for the sheep. And we know he's starting to allude now. Like, this whole story, I said, this is one big story, right? And it's going to lead up to the cross, which is the significant event of the whole story. Remember he said, it's not my time yet, and we were talking about the cross, you know? He's getting towards that now. It's starting to make more sense. He's not saying, I just am this because I just am. And if you don't like it, tough, because I'm God and deal with it. You see what I'm saying? He's not talking like that. He's saying, I am God. The good news of that is this is how God is. And he gives you these little pictures in there. He's the one who knows all the sheep by name. He knows everything. He knows all the sheep by name, and the sheep can hear his voice, and they know. Like the blind guy's like, this guy's doing something. I'm listening, you know. How do I? He says to him, he's like, who is he so that I might believe in him? You know what I mean? He's like, I'm ready, you know. And Jesus is saying, the good shepherd will die for the sheep. And then we come after him as the sheep, but then, like, it's all throughout. This is the thing that jumped out to me, though, like, Ephesians 5.25 says this. Listen, you'll find a familiar phrase in here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The word Christian means like little Christ. Jesus talks about us taking up our cross and following him. So not only do we accept the, the work and the providence and the medicine from the good shepherd to us as sheep, we also in turn become good shepherds to other people as well. And that's not just people like me who get paid for it. It's all of us. All of us who were blind but now see, okay? Not who claim to never be blind, okay? And the funny thing is, it's like we don't have to argue about it. Like if you actually believe what God is laying out here, it just kind of is this way. Without Jesus, everyone is wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked, and thing. But Jesus provides a way for the buying the gold, refine my fire, things that actually matter, the things you've actually been longing for. This is the other thing. Those deep longings, those deep hungers, those deep feelings, they're there, and you can pretend like they're not, like the Pharisees, or you can just admit them. But it's scary to walk through that because the truth of the pitiful, poor, blind, and naked part kind of stares you in the face for a little while. The good news is Jesus is dealing with that and changing things. Kayla, come on up here. But he gives it, I mean, the reason I put this in here is because, like, I know I'm a, I'm a guy too, so it's like I get it. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? Like, one of the things as a husband is to treat your wife and your family like Jesus did and give yourself up for them, not expect them to serve you. You're the one who's the protector. You're the gate. You die for them. You see what I'm saying? You know, hope husbands, you're listening to me. You know, you need to take care of business like Jesus does. And that's good. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. So there's this hearing his voice. I think that the truth is that God is speaking. But many of us just don't want to hear it. 
And we, th- we, we, we get all cocky, just like the second half of this story. Like, just tell me. Just tell me straight. Are you the guy or not? And then when he does, the react, like, I don't know if you put all that together, because he went into the sheep thing for a bit. They're like, just tell us if you're the son of God. He's like, all right, I'm the son of God. They're like, oh, we're going to kill you. He's like, why are you killing me? He's like, because you said you're the son of God. He's like, you just asked me that. Like, C.S. Lewis had that famous argument, liar, lunatic, or Lord about Jesus. You know, either he's a crazy dude who thinks he's God. That's an option. Or he's a liar where he's just, I know I'm not God, but I'm going to tell people I am because, you know, whatever. Or he actually is what he says he is. And he invites you to, like, check it out. I think he's speaking, but he's so frank and so truthful. We're so used to lying and hiding that it scares us and it's too revealing. But on the other side of the truth with him is all of the things that a shepherd does that we desperately need. And we're not supposed to pretend like we don't. We're not supposed to pretend like we don't need God. We're not supposed to pretend like we got it all figured out or we can take care of ourselves because we can't. And you can keep pretending because we won't be too rude and force you to not. But the truth is, if you want the truth, the truth is you need him. And it's hard to hear that, but that's the truth. It's hard as men to hear that. That's why you sent men. And it's hard as young people to hear that. Like, you know, you don't know when the next war is coming. See? You don't know when everything that you have that you thought was stable is going to be shaken. You just know that it will. But we can be of good cheer because he's overcome the world and he's the good shepherd, the one we put our faith in. And so I'm going to read this to you and then Kayla and I are going to sing it. We're going to sing this Psalm 23, which is about the Lord as the shepherd. And we've sung this song so many times. It's a Jason Upton song, but it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like my song now. I've sung it so many times, but (laughs) I'm going to read this to you. And I'm not going to read the King James Version because I, I think so many of us memorize this as a King James that you don't listen to it anymore. I'm going to read, I don't I think this is NIV or something, but listen to the words. And then while we sing this song, I want to invite you, if you need to come down and spend some time at the altar and, and to, to admit to the Lord in places of your, of your life where you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, or whatever you need to do, just do business with God, I invite you to do that um, because he's the good shepherd and he's calling your name, but you can choose not to listen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. (laughs) I just got to stop. I'm sorry. Did you notice in Revelation? I just got to read that to you again. Revelation. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. Whose faith is that in? Yourself. This is completely the opposite. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, which is where the sheep would drink. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness 
and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, Lord, we just commit this time to you. We want to be honest before you. We don't want to be the kind of people that are offended by you as good shepherd, Lord. We want to be those that are led in and out by your voice and your calling and brought the medicine we need and the healing we need and the strength that we need and the food that we need that we might be able to be used as good shepherds by you as well and live life to the full. In Jesus' name. So if you want to come up and pray or if you want to just stand and sing this song with us, let's just sing the Lord of